If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We'll be finishing up the 14th chapter of Luke today. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 35. So that's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. Words are also printed in your bulletins. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin, begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its taste, how shall, it be salt, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. And as you do, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. In the early 1900s, there was an advertisement in the local London Times from Sir Ernest Shackleton. And this is a legend. Uh, as legend goes, they uh, aren't able to actually find the advertisement. Uh, but there is good documentation of this, that Sir Ernest Shackleton made an advertisement, and it went like this. It was an advertisement for an expedition to the Arctic. Excuse me, the Antarctic. We're going south, not north. The Antarctic. The advertisement read this. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness. Safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition, honor and recognition in event of success. Now, legend goes that thousands of men responded to this advertisement, advertisement that is promising very little, in fact, uh, uh, maybe even promising death, but thousands of men uh, wanted to join him in this expedition to explore the Antarctic. You know, this Memorial Day weekend, we think a lot about the men and the women 
who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom here in our country. They counted the cost, as people who read this advertisement did as well, and they were willing to pay the price so that we might be free. And so we honor them this weekend. We honor them uh, with, uh, with Memorial Day on Monday in gratitude to them for them making that ultimate sacrifice. This morning as we look at, at Luke 14, 25 to 35, we'll see that because of the cost that is involved with becoming a disciple of Christ, we cannot be his disciple unless we are willing to, to pay the price of everything and put everything second in relationship to Christ. So as Jesus begins, I uh, need to understand the context here. He starts off with this very startling statement, and he says in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you were to take this out of context and you were just heard this on the street, this doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? He says, unless you hate your family, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. I thought Jesus preached love. I thought he preached forgiveness. Uh, what about uh, the commandments? What about number five of honoring your father and mother? If you hate them, how does that honor them? What about later in Ephesians 5, where we're told, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. What about how Jesus treats children, where he says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. What about when he calls us to be reconciled to our brother? Even if we're given a gift at the altar to go and be reconciled to our brother. How does that relate to Jesus' statement here where he calls us to, in a sense, if we don't hate our family, we cannot be his disciples? Didn't he say in John 13, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another? So we need to understand the context here. Who is Jesus speaking to? So he's on his way to Jerusalem. We know that he has set his face to Jerusalem, as he has said in Luke 9, 51. And there are great crowds that are following him at this point. They are following him because of what he's doing. He is performing great miracles. He's casting out demons. He's doing these amazing things. And so people are, it's like a party that is following Jesus. Let's think of it that way. Following Jesus was a great time. It was a great show. Large crowds of people were following him because he was this great miracle worker in a sense. So Jesus, speaking to this crowd, gives them a reality check as he lays out in very unforgettable and undeniable terms what the cost of following him really is. Did Jesus really mean that we need to hate our family when we become a follower of Christ? No. No. We need to understand the context of what he is saying here. 
This is not what the Bible teaches, and this is not what Jesus demonstrates. What Jesus means by this statement is that our affection for our family cannot be greater than our affection that we have for Christ. A disciple of Christ puts Christ first, and not just ahead of our family, but ahead of all things. One of the great Puritan writers, Thomas Boston, puts it this way. He says, no man can be a true disciple of Christ if Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him in the whole world. So if you think about what is dearest to you in the whole world, hopefully you will say that that is Christ. But he needs to be dearer to us than our very family, dearer to us than what we hold most dear in our lives. So here's something truly ironic if we, if we think of this statement. In order to love our family well, we need to hate them in the sense that Jesus is talking about this morning. So for us to love our family, we need to hate them. In other words, what we need to do is we need to put them second so that Jesus can be first. The way to love our children well is to love Jesus above our children. The way to love our wife or our husband well is to love Christ more than we love them. Stephanie and I had the the privilege of being at a wedding yesterday where I was able to officiate. And during that wedding, I was able to share the gospel. I was able to, to talk about what marriage really means. And in my sermon, I, I used 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage about love. I spoke about the love that they needed to have for one another. That love is, uh, is a verb. It's an action. It's not a noun. It's uh, committing yourself to one another. It is seeking the good of the other person above all else. How would it have been in that sermon time if I would have told them what you need to do is that you need to hate each other? I wouldn't do that, of course. Um, That wouldn't be the context uh, uh, and the right place to talk about the need for hating each other. But in order for these two to truly love each other well, they need to love Jesus more than the other person. They need to hate in the way that Jesus is, is talking about this morning. Recently, I told a story of Francis Schaeffer. I'm using him as an example a lot because I've been doing a lot of studying in his, in his life, reading uh, uh, about how God had used him in a mighty way. But I, I shared the story recently about as he was preparing to go off to college uh, to study to become, uh, to, to study for the ministry, uh, his parents did not support him. They did not want to see their son uh, going into such a profession. Uh, instead, they wanted him to, to, to work with his hands as his father did. Um, but as uh, he was preparing to go, his father, his father stopped him the night before and he said, uh, before I leave in the morning to go to work, which he left really early, I want you to be up and I want to I talk to you in the morning. And so Francis got up that morning as he was about to leave for college. And uh, his dad said the very last thing. He said, I don't want my son to become a minister. 
Francis took a, a moment. He asked his father if he could pray. He went down to the cellar so that he could pray. He felt God calling him uh, once again to the ministry. And so he told his father, uh, I must go. Later on in life, um, both his father and his mother uh, became believers by hating his parents in this sense, by placing his love for Christ above his love for his parents. He was truly loving them. And through that, he was able to share the gospel with them, and they became believers. This goes beyond just our familial relationships. This goes beyond all things in our, in our lives. Unless Jesus is our highest affection, he says that we cannot be his disciples. He doesn't say here, you're not going to make a very good disciple if you don't hate your father, mother, even your own life. He says you cannot. You cannot. He puts this out in very black and white terms here. So not only does Jesus call us to hate in this sense, but he also calls those who desire to be his disciples to bear your cross. Luke 14, verse 27, he says this, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus is telling this to the crowd, and we need to understand that this is before the crucifixion, before Good Friday, before Jesus hung on the cross. They don't know that this is how his life is going to end. And so this would be a startling statement to them. Um, people understood at that point what it mean to carry your cross because they had seen it dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times. Men carrying their cross on the way to being crucified. Carrying your cross was a symbol of, of rejection, of, of humiliation, of excruciating pain. It was when you saw a man carrying his cross, you knew that he was going to die. So in order to be a disciple of Christ, Christ tells us that we must bear our cross. It means that we must live in such a way that we will die to ourselves and live to God. It means that we will willingly endure persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ because our love for him exceeds all else. You know, there's this lie that I think we, we believe is that when we become a Christian, that life somehow will become easier. Well, as Jesus calls us to be a disciple of Christ here, doesn't sound like this is an easy life to hate our family even our own life to bear our cross it's not true that when we become christians that our life becomes easier we could even make the argument that when we become christians actually life becomes more difficult this is why jesus tells the crowd here to count the cost so not only are we called to hate in the way that Jesus describes, not only are we called to bear our cross, to willingly endure this persecution, but we are called to count the cost. In verse 28, Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether or not he has enough to complete it? 
And then in verse 33, he says, Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Uh, I spent five years in Orlando uh, living in various places there as I was going through seminary. That is where Stephanie and I got married. And uh, when we lived there, there was uh, a, a tower that was being built right off of I-4, if you're familiar with, with Orlando. I-4 cuts right through the heart of Orlando. And in a town called Altamont Springs, which is north of the city, there was this tower that was impressive. There was no other skyscrapers around, but there was this very modern-looking tower that they were building. Um, unfortunately, uh, we went there, uh, I think it was last year, uh, we went uh, down to the beach in Florida. We got to drive through Atlanta, uh, drive through Orlando, and they're still building that tower. I think it's been 10 years. Um, uh, honestly, it didn't look like they were doing any work on it at that point. So it, in a sense, it's just this eyesore, this uncompleted huge skyscraper tower right off of I-4 for everyone to see that has not been completed. For the builder, for the owner of that tower, I'm sure that that is embarrassing. That is a difficult thing for him to know that so much time has gone by and the work is still not completed. This is what Jesus is talking about here. That man didn't count the cost. He didn't realize what would happen. The reality of the Christian life is this. Becoming a Christian is absolutely free. It is a gift of God's free grace that he gives to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith in Christ and our salvation is a free gift of God. Salvation by grace is free, but following Jesus costs us everything that we have. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, it costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian, to go to church, it's cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, to follow Christ, to believe in Christ and confess Christ requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins, our self-righteousness, and our ease, and our worldliness. All must be given up. We must fight an enemy who comes against us with 20,000 followers. We must build a, towel, a tower in troublous times. Our Lord Jesus Christ would have us thoroughly understand this. He bids us to count the cost. When I was speaking to the couple yesterday during the wedding, um, in a sense, I was encouraging them to count the cost of getting married. Because as you know, marriage takes work. If you walk into a marriage thinking that that, that lovey-dovey feeling that you, you feel as you're dating will carry you through for the next 50 years, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. You need to approach marriage uh, in a realistic way. It is an incredible joy. Marriage is a great gift that God has given to us. But it takes effort. It takes effort. Jesus says in Luke 14, 33, Therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Like the men who volunteered for the Shackelford expedition to the Antarctic after seeing this ad that promised almost certain death, we need to be willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we all need to become like John the Baptist's, where we're walking around uh, eating locusts and honey, having no place to lay our head, um, being clothed in, in camel skin. What this means is that you cannot be a disciple of Christ unless he is first and foremost in your life. Like I said before, it doesn't mean that you can't be a good disciple of Christ unless he is first and foremost. Jesus is very black and white here. He says you can not be a disciple unless he is first. He is above family. He is above job, above possessions, above status. He is above all things. So the question for us this morning then is, are there things in our lives that would cause us to hesitate or question whether or not we could be a disciple of Christ? And if so, then there are things that we need to renounce so that we would follow Christ. Jesus concludes and he says, salt is good, but if it loses its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? When you think of salt on your table and the fact that the the mere reason that it is there is to give the, the food this salty taste, imagine if that taste was taken away. Why would we have a, a salt shaker on our table? What good would that be? It's not even good for the manure pile, as Jesus says. It's good literally for nothing. If salt is not salty, what is it good for? It's no longer of any use whatsoever. In the same way, a disciple has to be a disciple in order to be a disciple. Salt needs to be salty in order for it to be salt. We need to be disciples of Christ in order to be disciples of Christ. And that means renouncing everything that we have to follow him. Now, I know that that sounds extreme, but this is what Jesus is calling us to this morning. That unless we do these things, we cannot be his disciples. But what Jesus is calling us to as his disciples is the exact same thing that he did for us. And this is the good news of the gospel that according to Philippians 2, Jesus counted the cost and he renounced all that he had in order to follow the will of his Father. In verses 6 through 8, it says that who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He counted the cost and he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He renounced all things. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus carried his cross. And because Christ renounced all to God the Father, he accomplished salvation for us. He did what we could not do. He renounced all, even his very life, offering his body as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And because Christ gave up his life, we have now received life by God's grace through faith. So for Jesus to renounce all, it cost him everything. But the reward that he received was this. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, 
says, Therefore God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is true of Jesus is true of us as well. Now, people will not be bowing down to us. But following Christ will cost us dearly because the price to be paid is everything. Discipleship will cost you dearly, but the benefits of following Christ make it all worthwhile. By renouncing all, what we gain is the kingdom of God. I'm going to close with 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. Amen. And let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, what you have called us to through your Son, Jesus Christ, is not hard. It is impossible. And we cannot renounce all that we have and put you first in our lives unless you first fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would fill us, Lord. Lord, if you are not first in our lives, if there are things that we have placed ahead of you, be it our family, be it our jobs, uh, be it our, our status or our possessions, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us. And I pray that we would confess our sins and come humbly to you. And we know that you, through your grace, will forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray that we could love others well by placing them second in our lives and by loving you most of all. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us by knowing that you have loved us by renouncing all that you have had so that you, your son, could die for us, paying the penalty for our sins. And I pray that as we go from here, we would go in the grace of knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the great love that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.